didn't already open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, I hope you will. Be uh, thinking about this passage that Roger just read for us in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38 in just a second. Um, I always hope you have your Bibles open whenever the Word is taught. We want to come to the Word of God with open minds and open hearts, but also open Bibles so we can test the things that are said to make sure they're so, um, so that if uh, any of us who stand up and give the Word give something that's not accurate, you can help correct that and make that right, because that's what we're trying to do here is help each other to really know the Word of God so we can live out His will. It's that time of year. Um, you guys been getting a lot of emails lately? Been getting a lot of emails. Hey, we got deals here at the end of the year. We're trying to get rid of all of our stuff. Hey, you want to donate? You haven't been around in a while. Hey, all those kind of uh, year-end, year-review kind of emails. All the tweets are things like seven questions to learn your learn lessons from 22 to be better in 2023. Uh, I got my Spotify wrapped the other day. Did I get those? I loved it. First time in several years that I didn't have a song from Frozen or Frozen 2 in my top five songs. So I feel like that was big for me. I'm also in the top 0.5% of Jack Johnson listeners. So I guess I don't need those tweets about being my better self in 23 anyways. Look at that. I already accomplished something, you know. Uh, it's it's actually a really nice time of year. I know sometimes some of it's a little silly and stuff, but it's good to be able to look back on ourselves. Um on our world and review what what was good what can i learn what can i be better about maybe it's a little bit arbitrary maybe every morning we should be doing that but at the end of the year it's good to be able to look back and uh, and think about how things have been the world watch list is uh, a publication put out by open doors which is an organization that tracks persecution of christians worldwide and in 2022, they put out a review of the prior year, reviewing the, if I can say it this way, the progress of persecution among God's people around the world. Their finding was that in the prior year, 6,175 Christians were detained for their faith. That's about 17 every single day. That means for more or less every waking hour that you and I spend, one of our brothers or sisters <clears throat> is taken from their home or their family because they follow Jesus. 5,110 churches worldwide were attacked. That means that every first day of the week, 52 weeks out of the year, there were 98 churches that had to cope with attacks that had been put upon them or that were made vulnerable that very day as they were there just to worship their God, our God. 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith. 16 per day. Just because they love the Lord. Children lost their parents. Wives were either practically or in actuality widowed. Men lost their jobs because of their newfound or their long-held faith in Jesus. People who should have been gathering to celebrate and have joy together and peace in the Lord had to overcome the fears 
of walking on those waters we just sang about a minute ago. I think about those people and uh, wherever they may be around the world. And I think about what their life must have been like before that. I know they were uh, flawed people just like you and me in need of God's grace for their sins and their struggles. But I also know that they meant that song when they would sing, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies? They were good people. Otherwise, they would have been noted for their faith and arrested or killed or attacked. They were honest and worked with integrity. They were convicted in the gospel, even in places where that was a, literally a crime. And that's not right. That people like that would suffer. It's completely unfair. It's completely unfair. That they would endure that kind of treatment. And I think about those thousands of people around the world. And no doubt even more in this year. I will tell you that statistically persecution is only increasing worldwide. It is not decreasing. And so no doubt when the data is gathered for this year and it's reported uh, sometime next year, whenever that's all collected, it will be even higher numbers of people who have suffered in this way for following Jesus. What are we to learn from people like this? I think they teach us a really crucial lesson that is easy for us to forget about. The call to follow Jesus is a call to a life that is not fair. You can live righteously, godly, humbly, selflessly, lovingly, honestly in this world, and you will suffer for it. Jesus said as much. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not the powerful, not the dominant, the meek. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, Jesus said. If you live a righteous life in this world, it will be a life marked by unfairness. And I mean that in the full range of the meaning of the word. The word fair, of course, uh, we, we can use that word to refer to that's unjust. Like these people that we're thinking about who suffered for nothing more than being good, godly, humble people. They suffered for that. That's unjust. That's wrong. And it is. But also the notion of unfairness means something is not pleasant, right? Say, oh, it's a fair morning or it's a it's a, I'm, I'm doing pretty fair. Right. I don't know. I think that's maybe a southern phrase. How you doing? Fair to Midland. Just, right. Yeah. That, some of y'all never heard that. One. So there you go. A little language expansion for you today. You're welcome. Um, use that one in 2023. See how it goes. But the, the notion being here, it's OK. I'm, I'm, I'm pleasant. You know, it's fine. Right. If you're going to live a righteous life. It's not oftentimes it's not going to be fair. It's not going to be just. It's not going to be pleasant. Persecution for following Jesus is not right. It's not how it ought to be. And it's certainly not pleasant. But Jesus said, and our brethren around the world who've endured the persecution that we just reflected on, teach us that the call to follow Jesus is a call to a life that is not fair. 
And this text that was read for us just a moment, I think, really uh, brings that to the foreground for us. Did you notice that what Jesus said? He begins in verse 38 of Matthew 5, quoting from the scriptures. And I, I want to say this at, at the outset. I'm not going to continue repeating this, but I'm going to say it at the outset so we can clear the air on this in case we wonder about it. Um, Jesus quotes a passage that shows that God is very interested, not interested, God is deeply concerned about things being fair, both in terms of things being just and things being pleasant for his creation. God desires that. That is God's will for the world and for his people. Well, I know this because Jesus quotes in verse 38 from the Torah, the word of God. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, no doubt in Jesus' day, this was uh, clearance for vengeance. But that wasn't in its original what, what God had in mind. This is uh, this is a command given at least three times in the Torah. I may have missed a couple. But in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19, you'll find this commandment. And in those passages, you'll find that it, God laid down this precept to make sure that things were fair. That whenever someone was treated in an inequitable way, equity was restored by those who were judges and appointed to oversee that. Whenever someone did wrong, they would be punished. And, or maybe I say, but when they are punished, the punishment doesn't go too far. An eye for an eye, not two eyes for one eye, a tooth for a tooth, not two tooth, uh, not two teeth for one tooth. You know what I'm saying? God is concerned with fairness and he wants that for his people. That's his will. You actually see that in the New Testament in many passages where the way we operate together is intended to promote justice and a pleasant life that we share in our lives together. And so I imagine that for the people of Jesus' day, maybe even more so than for us, to hear the rest of what Jesus said, to hear him teach that the call to follow him is a call to a life that is not fair, must have been shocking and disturbing even more than it is for us. Us who have codified our rights and are, are secured ourselves and we got to make sure there's a system in place to make sure everything's fair and right and pleasant for people and all that sort of thing. It's shocking to us, but even more so for them. That Jesus would acknowledge, yes, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But now Jesus is saying, I'm also going to tell you what it's going to be like when you're living out here in the world. While the Torah was given for God's people within, Jesus says, hey, I'm sending you out into all nations and you're not really going to have that protection and safety of living in that land governed by Torah. You're going to be out in the world where people don't follow the same rules. They don't play by the same rules as you do. And so if you're going to follow me into the world, Jesus says, I'm calling you to a life that is not fair. Look at some of the things that Jesus says here. And let's try to try to reflect on uh, the commandments Jesus gives of this life of unfairness. Jesus commands that we not fight back against those who do evil to us. Jesus commands that we not fight back to those who do evil against us. You see that in verse 39? But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. Now, uh, sometimes, I don't know what you think about the word resist, but sometimes you can think about resist like I'm pulling, like somebody's trying to grab me and I'm pulling back. I'm resisting. That's one way we use this word in English. This word translated resist in other passages in the New Testament, it's used, well, I'll tell you one of the most prominent ways this word is used is to talk about how we respond to the devil with armor on. It's not pulling back against him. It's fighting. We're resisting. We got our dukes up and we're ready to go. That's the notion here. Jesus says, you do not resist an evildoer. That person who mistreats you, who talks bad about you behind your back, who takes advantage of you, what should you do? Well, I got to make this fair. I got to make sure that it's everything is set right. And so I'm going to fight back. Jesus says, I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Jesus, that is not fair. Punch me in the face. And Jesus says, I know. 
I'm telling you, we're going a different way than the rest of the world. Do not fight back against an evildoer. We're going to be uh, flipping back and forth, by the way, between the book of 1 Peter and Matthew 5. So if you want to keep a marker in Matthew 5, go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and listen to these words. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8. 1 Peter 3 and verse number 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble. Note, by the way, this is talking about Christians interacting with each other. All right. What does he say? In those relationships, verse 9 of 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 3 and verse 9. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. What am I supposed to do if you attack me? Maybe in a moment of weakness, you mistreat me, you say something, even as a brother or sister in Christ, what am I supposed to do? Don't fight back. Do not fight back. Don't resist the evildoer. Don't pay back evil for evil or insult for insult. That is not fair. But the call to Jesus, following Jesus is a call to a life that's not fair. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Not only does Jesus say we can't fight back. Maybe it's like, okay, I get it. I, I shouldn't fight back. That's fine. I, I, I can't fight back. But Jesus actually takes us even further on the path of an unfair life that he calls us to. He says, on the contrary, verse 39, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Let him have your coat as well. That first word sue is a legal term that actually is used in another place to talk about judgment or condemn. Somebody's trying to judge you to take away your stuff. Actually, you say, you know what, go ahead. And here's, here's a little extra too. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with him too. Jesus commands us not only that we are not allowed to fight back against those who do evil, with evil, I should say. Jesus commands that we are to be mistreated repeatedly or compoundingly. You see that here? Somebody slaps you on your right cheek. What do you do? Turn the other. Turn the other. I get it that I'm not allowed to punch back, but are you kidding me? That is definitely not fair. Not only did they get one shot, they're getting two shots to my none. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to allow yourself to be mistreated repeatedly. He talks about the coat. He talks about the, the, the going one mile, going two. Uh, this is lunacy. Now, let me let me just take a real, real quick pause. I don't want to I don't want to drown out Jesus point with clarification, but I do want to make the clarification. We see both from Jesus's own example, as well as from the examples of the apostles, that whenever someone mistreats you or intends you harm and you have the ability to avoid that harm, that's uh, permissible. There are multiple times where G people tried to kill Jesus and it wasn't his time. And so he got away. The Apostle Paul, same kind of thing. All right. So this is not saying you got to go looking for trouble and looking for getting abused and mistreated. All right. That's not the point of this text. What the point is, if the choice is between me fighting back or me enduring repeated mistreatment, there is no choice. I'm going to be mistreated on a repeat basis. And I might add, in a world where we like to say things like, oh, get that toxic person out of your life or, oh, you got to leave that behind, whatever, whatever. And look, I get that we got to be wise about how we conduct our relationships. But, you know, whenever Jesus left the people who were trying to kill him, you know what he did? He came right back to them. Whenever the Apostle Paul was uh, about to be murdered, he didn't say, I'm done preaching. He came right back to preach the message. You get my point? 
they endured mistreatment repeatedly. And that's what it takes. I'm look, I'm back in first Peter chapter three, first Peter chapter three. I'm thinking about um, that good, godly Christian woman whose husband just berates her for her faith, disadvantages her, makes it complicated at every turn, doesn't appreciate who she is or what she's doing. Or I think about that Christian man who's doing his best to live for God, but his wife is the opposite of supportive, mocking him to other men, talking about how soft he must be to follow this, this Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. What am I to do? How am I supposed to live in that kind of a marriage? This is repeat. I mean, every day I'm dealing with this kind of mistreatment. Listen to what the spirit says in first Peter three and verse one, first Peter three and verse one. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband so that even if some disobey the word, they may be one with one over without a word by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure and reverent lives, you keep on enduring that mistreatment, wife. You keep on facing that unkindness, that negligence, that pathetic behavior from your husband. Verse seven, husbands, in verse six, I'll say, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear their fear. Verse seven, he turns to the husband. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Understanding way, she berates me and mocks me and thinks that I'm a nobody because I'm a follower of Jesus or whatever reason it may be understanding way. Yeah, that's right. Showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. You mean I got to stay in this marriage? You mean I got to keep on being a good spouse even when I'm being mistreated in this marriage? Yeah. The call to follow Jesus is a call to a life that is not fair, which Jesus says includes enduring repeated mistreatment by those who don't appreciate us. Go back to Matthew 5. Jesus tells us that we're not allowed to fight back with evil against those who do evil. Jesus tells us that we're going to have to endure repeated mistreatment. But he also tells us something else here in these verses. Jesus commands that we graciously give to those who wrongfully take. Jesus commands that we graciously give to those who wrongfully take. He gives a couple of examples that are uh, relevant for his particular audience. I'm going to I'm going to key in on verse 42 in particular, verse 42. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. So what we understand to have been the case is that whenever the Romans would come into a region, they would occupy it and the people would basically just become just food for them. Whatever they wanted, whatever they needed, they used it. And so it was legal for a Roman soldier to be walking around in Palestine to see a Jewish person and say, hey, you there, carry my stuff. He dumps all of his, his gear. His, uh, his weapons, his tools, whatever the case may be, his armor that he didn't want to walk around with. And legally, you were obligated. They had mile markers on their roads, and you were obli obligated legally to go one mile, or else you would you know, get in trouble. All right, and so I want you to imagine that, by the way, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a Jewish for anybody, anybody who's not a part of the Roman occupying force that came in. That weapon, you saw it used just a few days ago whenever he was beating one of your countrymen. That armor, you know what that represents and what that stands for. It stands for the oppression of your nation. And you want to just pick up that sword and just fight back. Can't do that. You want to say, no more. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to endure this repeated mistreatment. And you would think that would be enough to resist those urges. But Jesus says, actually, pick it up. Pick it up. And you carry it. And whenever you hit that first mile marker, and that Roman soldier stops and gets ready to grab his stuff. 
You just keep on walking. He says, hey, hey, are you Jews that dumb? Stop right here. And you say, no, no, I know. You're still going, right? I'll go another mile with you. Why would you give like that? That is completely unfair. It's unfair for him to be in your country. It's unfair for him to, to make you carry his stuff. You were doing something. You were working. You, had a, you were eating dinner, whatever. This is unfair. And Jesus says, not only do you endure that unfairness, you take it even further. You graciously give to the one who wrongfully takes. Verse 43, he continues, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. What is that going to mean, Jesus? Give them the gift of praying for them who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you hear what Jesus says? He says, you are to be like your father in heaven who gives to people who are his enemies. You thought how unfair the grace of God is for him, I mean. The whole world is filled with people who are rebels, enemies of God, arrogant, disregarding him, blaspheming his name, actively fighting against him. And you know what he does? He sends rain and sunshine every day all around the world. We thought whenever you walk around, it would be very nice if you could walk around and say, oh, there's sunshine on that person, so they must be righteous. That's not how it works. God gives to everyone. And everyone enjoys the benefits, the, the food that grows from the rain and the sun and the, the wood that builds the buildings that we live in and the technology that grows out of the elements of the earth that God has put in here for everyone. God graciously gives to us who wrongfully take. We shake our fist at him in this world in our sin and we say, I don't want you. I ignore you. I don't care about you. God just keeps on giving. Completely unfair. And Jesus says, come follow me. Answer the call, the call to a life that is not fair. I'm not going to turn there right now, but I'm mindful in 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 18, where Peter talks to those who are workers, laborers, who are unjustly, unfairly treated. What should you do in that case? You might say, well, I should stomp my feet. I should resist, all this kind of stuff. Peter says, no, you just keep on working, not as a man pleaser, but as a God pleaser. You got a boss that wrongfully takes from you? You got people on the job who wrongfully take from you while you give? You might say, okay, I'm not allowed to fight back with evil. I, I'm, I'm going to have to endure this mistreatment, but I'm not giving them any tiny bit more than I have to. Jesus says, no. If you're going to follow me, you graciously give to those who wrongfully take. One more here, and then I want us to try to put this stuff together here. Jesus commands that we treat those who regard us as enemies as our closest companions. You see that in verse 43? How should you view your enemy? Same as a neighbor. And maybe your neighbors are your enemies, but imagine the neighbors that you like. That's how you treat your enemies. Uh, the illustration Jesus gives in verse 45 is, of course, God looking upon us as children and caring for us as such. How would a parent care for their child? That's how you're to regard those who treat you like they're your enemy or you're their enemy. Verse 46, Jesus reasons with us on this and he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus says, how should you greet those? Uh, sorry, how should you treat those 
who mistreat you, who regard you as an enemy and treat you as such. Hugs and kisses. That's what Jesus said. That word greet is not hello from a distance. That's the word that's often used in the New Testament to, to be it is paired with uh, warm embraces, holy kisses, things you would do with family. That's how you treat people. Jesus says those who would treat you like an enemy, mistreat you, you regard them as your closest companions. That's a vulnerable thing, by the way. A hug and a kiss. If someone's really your enemy, that's time for them to harm you. Jesus says, yeah, I know. And that won't be fair for you to treat them like your neighbor, like your own family, like your closest friends. But you treat them that way. And if they treat you in a way that is unfair, that's to be expected. Because the call to follow Jesus is a call to a life that is not fair. Where we don't fight back against evil. Where we allow ourselves to repeatedly endure mistreatment by our choice, where we graciously give to those who wrongfully take, and where we treat others who regard us as enemies as if they are our closest companions. How could Jesus call us to do this? And why? Why does God make it this way? Why did God set this rule up for life in his kingdom? And how am I supposed to cope? What's going to be the end result of all this unfairness in the world? Go back to 1 Peter one more time. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 21 through 25. 1 Peter 2 verse 21. For you are called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted... He did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, or if I may use our word today, fairly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. How could Jesus call us to live a life, like, a life like this? Why would he call us to a life of unfairness? What's the end result if I follow him in this? First, how could he do it? How could he do this to us? I don't know if you ever say it that way. Do you ever feel that way? When you think about those people who were persecuted that we talked about earlier, whose churches were attacked, whose fathers and mothers were thrown in prison, whose children were ripped away from their families, who were killed merely because they said boldly and truthfully, Jesus is Lord. Why would he do that? How could he do that to them? How could he do it? How could he not? Look at what Peter says. We read, turn the other cheek or back it up. We read, don't fight back against evil. Jesus, how could you tell us to do that? And Jesus says, don't you remember that night in the garden whenever they came to take me, the one who had healed their mothers and their brothers, who had taught them and fed them and loved them to the very end, when they came to me into the cover of darkness and my friend Peter pulled out the sword to fight back, what did I tell him? Jesus would say, put your sword back in its sheath. We don't resist. We don't fight back evil for evil. And 
what about whenever they took him to the trial? Do you remember how they treated him? There they mocked him, ridiculed him, slapped him in the face. What did he do? He could have called 12 legions of angels. He could have just left, but he didn't. He endured their repeated mistreatment all the way to the end. And going the second mile, giving to those who wrongfully take, not only did Jesus leave his home in heaven to come here to be on this earth, and not only did he live the life of a servant, he went that mile or however long it may have been from the, from the garden to the, to the trial. But then he went the second mile, carrying his own cross all the way to that hill where he died on the cross. And we say, how can, I, how can you call us to give like that, Jesus? How could you call us to do that? And he would say, how could I not? How could I not? This is me. This is what it means to follow me. And, as, and, and how, how could he not call us to give our coat and our shirt when there he hung on the cross and they gambled for his clothing right in front of him, taking his shirt and his cloak right away from him while he was stripped naked for all to see there on that cross? And how could we love our enemies, Jesus? How could I not call you to do this? There on the cross, don't you remember what I said about my enemies? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How could he not? This is the way. This is the way of life. This is the way of righteousness. This is the way of salvation. Jesus has to call us on this path to save us from ourselves, from this world, from sin, from all that's evil and wicked, all the things that create the injustices and unpleasantries of this world. Jesus is delivering us through the way of the cross, the way that is absolutely not fair, but it's the only way to salvation. And that's part of the why of why he calls us to this path, but it's not all of it. Did you notice what Peter says? He hints at something that I think is profound, and if we would believe it and remember it, it would help us when we endure unfair treatment in this world as we follow Jesus. Peter says there in verse 24, this great unfairness, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body. Why? So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. Why did Jesus endure unjust and unpleasant treatment? Why did he endure an unfair life and death? To heal, to give to you and me, to change us. You know what's amazing about, and only God knows those who are his, but statistically where Christianity is expanding and growing the most, where the most people are coming to follow Jesus. Do you know where it's happening in the world right now? It's in those same places where those mothers and fathers were taken into custody, where people were killed for following Jesus, where churches are being attacked. That's the place where the fires of salvation are burning the brightest. <clears throat> That's the place where healing is happening. That's the place where the world is changing the most, is where the most unfairness is happening. Because when people look in those places, they see something different in the people of God. They see something that's richer and brighter and better. And it's not right and it's not fair that those are brethren or that any of us, in whatever ways we may suffer unfairness, might be treated the way we're treated but it wasn't fair for Jesus either. Well, yeah, it wasn't fair for Jesus either. But it was the fairest of all things to us that through his stripes, we are healed. What did Peter say about that wife who endures that repeated mistreatment? 
she might win her husband over. What about that Christian who doesn't fight back with evil treatment? Why do that? Bless instead. You see what I'm saying? Why? It's not just that Jesus says, you got to endure this just for you. Maybe it, that's part of it. It is not maybe, it is part of it. But it's for them. It's for the world around us. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. Love them just like I've loved you, Jesus said. And yeah, it's unfair. Love is never fair, frankly. But we keep doing it because we believe in the power of the love of God. We believe that that's what's changed our lives and what will change the world. And so we endure the mistreatment that we face. We graciously give to those who take. We treat those who would regard us as enemies as our closest companions with hugs and kisses. We do all that stuff because we want healing for the world. We want people to be saved. And this is how it happens. What's going to happen at the end? Do you notice that? Peter tells us how Jesus could call us to do this. He did it first. He tells us why. Because that's what brought our healing and that's what will bring healing for the world. But what about at the end of the day? Are we just going to end up getting shortchanged? Those brethren who lost their lives over the past year to persecution, did they lose? Verse 23 when Jesus was treated unfairly, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. We will be treated unfairly in this world. The call to follow Jesus is a call to a life that is not fair for now. One day, all will be set right. All those who've been faithful to Jesus and have followed him will be glorified. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And at the proper time, he will lift you up. He will. He did it with Jesus. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was vindicated by the spirit of power to prove that this is the way of righteousness. This is the good way. This is the way that God approves of. And while Jesus endured mistreatment and the worst kinds of pains in his life in the end, he was given the fairness of justification and of joy in his father's presence. And we will too. That's the promise. I wonder if we could speak to those brethren right now who gave their lives, who lost a lifetime on earth with their families, who suffered unspeakable pain in their bodies and in their minds. I wonder if they would tell us that it wasn't worth it or that it didn't all work out in the end. I know they wouldn't. I know they would tell us, keep going, keep following him. Answer the call to follow Jesus. Answer the call to a life that is not fair because one day it will be fair. Sort of. The greatest unfairness that you and I will ever experience or ever have experienced is the grace of God in Christ Jesus. What you and I deserve is rejection, pain forever, death, utter loss. That's what you and I deserve. That would be fair. But our God is not a fair God. He's a God of grace. He's God who loves his enemies. He's a God who's doing all that he can to bring us all home. The call to follow Jesus is a call to a life that is not fair. And thanks be to God for that.